0: Hello and welcome back to Unstoppable. I'm your host, Kerwin Ray, and today we go Top Gun. I sit down with Christian Bukukis, also known as Boo. He was not the one who flew with Maverick, but he did fly with the Mavericks. He is not your everyday human being. So, not only did he fly with the Australian Air Force for a number of years, he is today a high performance coach and the director of performance training company Afterburner, where they show businesses. We actually work with these guys how they actually have an Air Force mission completion rate of 98%, and also how he started an incredible business from Afghanistan. If you've ever wanted to get inside the mind of an Air Force fighter pilot, That work at a very high level that have converted to the strategic side of business. This is an interview you want to get inside of. Listen up, get your top gun out, and the highway to the danger zone. Listen up. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an absolute honor and welcome to the podcast. Christian Boo. Boo I gotta boo uh, Vacusis, mate. There we fucking go. Boo, great to have you here. Pleasure to be here, mate. It's always a pleasure. Oh, mate, honestly, I feel like you're you're my very own maverick. Well, I'd like to be someone's maverick, so (laughs) if I'm yours, that makes me full of joy. And I hope I'm your Iceman, like, because you know, every maverick needs between Iceman and Goose. I can't decide, but. And so, for the, everyone listening to this, uh, playing at home, tell everyone a little bit about your story. What's uh, what's the boo story?
1: Uh, pretty interesting. I wasn't very good at school, and uh, I guess I was a skinny Greek kid. And uh, but
0: always just had a passion. That's an oxymoron, for, right for, there. For, for a skinny Greek kid. Yeah. You, you don't, that, yeah, we don't often hear that.
1: Doesn't have, when you're little.
0: Yep. that's how you start. All oh, right. Yeah, Is that how they all start?
1: The, the, the size comes later. Right. Uh, yeah. So I, I, uh, I mean, went to high school. Wasn't very academic. I guess I love sport, love being busy. I just love doing things, but I wasn't very good at sitting down and pontificating and and uh, getting into the whole behavioural um, type of learning that they had at school. So, uh, but one thing I just loved from the, I can remember having clear thoughts was flying in the sky, and uh, and I just read volumes and volumes of books on World War II and aviation and just you know, flying, being like a bird, like man, just being up there amongst the clouds. And I was just passionate about it. And uh, so along the way, I learned as much as I could about airplanes. I left school the first time, didn't do very well. So I had to go back again and did my last year again. Didn't do very well the second time. Uh, But I was really, uh, uh, I had applied to the Air Force the first time They knocked me back and all I studied for was because I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And uh, they accepted me to be a pilot when I was just turned 19 years of age, started my pilot training, uh, managed to sneak
0: through the the process. Pause. Okay. Is there like... A uh, cinema outing that's missing from this conversation somewhere, where you know I went to the cinema and I saw this movie Top Gun, and it changed everything.
1: Yeah, we don't like to talk about. Oh, we don't like to talk about. Right, okay. Yeah, okay. Unfortunately, some people think it's a documentary about fighter pilots. <laughs> 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 but, uh, it is in fact a movie.
0: All right.
1: So uh, no, that was obviously pretty inspiring uh, when I was young. Did it actually play a role? Like, did it impact? Did it inspire you? In no, any way? I don't think so. I think I was already passionate. Like, I think yeah, I was right. reading books about World War Two pilots when I was seven. Okay. Uh, and and I think uh, Top Gun probably just reinforced it yeah. for me. And, and look, to be honest, I was happy to fly a helicopter, happy to fly anything. But yeah, I think right. that movie sort of galvanised for me, you know, the, the the speed and the the physicality of the environment. Like I just seen the it made it very
0: sexy. Yeah, it did. It made it very cool. I mean, you know, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if the US Air Force actually funded that movie because I'm pretty sure the subscription rates into, into the Air Force after that would have gone yeah, through the I river. think
1: that's why they've got another one coming out. I mean, yeah, right. It's obviously not going to be as good, but yeah. yeah, similar thing. Pilot numbers are down. Pilot numbers are down, so they need to get a few more on board, so why not roll out Top Gun 2? It's about drones, I think, so it's not really got the same. Ah, oh, it's not going to be the same. It's got to have the humans there. Uh, so I, I joined uh, the Air Force. Uh, the, the, my life's been full of luck. A lot of things have happened on the way, which just shouldn't have happened. And
0: yeah. One
1: of those was when I went for my eye test. Right. Uh, and I'm <coughs> short-sighted. But uh, the guy who was doing my eye test before selection was drunk, and he was probably 80 years old. Are you serious? It was three o'clock in the afternoon. I think he had a few sherries. Right. And uh, he said to me, um, he said to me, "Look, how badly do you want this?" And uh, I said to him, "Look, this is this is the thing I want more than anything." Bad in the enough world. to commit
0: fraud on an eye test. And, and, uh, <laughs> and he
1: said, "Look, you're mildly short-sighted. Yeah. You're, you're actually not." At the benchmark, but yeah, right. I'll, I'll sign you up as if you've got perfect vision. But when you join up, make sure you go get another eye test and get a pair of glasses. Yeah, right. Uh, so that was that was probably the first time I realised that luck and intent are joined together. Yep. Uh, and I guess if I didn't articulate at that point in time how passionate I was and how focused I was to be a fighter pilot, I probably would have given him the excuse to not nudge me through the door. So uh, that pretty much is the story of my life. Uh, and uh, so we joined, flew, we fly for two years. Uh, and as you can imagine, as a 19 year old flying your own even prop aircraft around at that point that's in better time, than being
0: 26 and getting your first Ferrari, I just got to say, like, imagine because we're talking like a 20, 19 years
1: old paid 45 grand a year in 1990 dollars to, pay, to drive a, a PC 9, 250, 500 kilometers per hour. And then, but wait, how level. much does it cost to,
0: to, to, to build a PC 9 to oh, buy about one? About eight million bucks. Oh, yeah that's, yeah, that's a little bit more than a
1: Ferrari, Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so that was, I mean, it was just.
0: Yeah, That's oh, I can just hear it when he's talking about it. It's a bit more like
1: it's not. It's not very really sexy. Yeah, right. you, know, you know, when you're flying a prop. Uh, so I flew those and successfully graduated through pilot's course. It's a bit of a pilot's course. is very hard. I mean, we we started with about 38 and we graduated 20. And of that 20, only five of us uh, ma- managed to complete the, all the courses to get through. through I love jets.
0: that. I love that.
1: So it's a. Uh, it, w- it was hard and and it was very much. a uh, Good thing about being nineteen 1920 is you're completely focused there's no distractions everything is about achieving the goal of becoming Had a you not fighter discovered
0: fighter. women at this point
1: oh yeah but that's that okay. that' all just checking it comes right that's not an issue okay. um when you're 19 and paid and yeah, right. flying flying aircraft for a living,
0: I suppose picking up a woman, it would check on a Friday night, would not be difficult well, when that's your resume.
1: <laughs> some, elements, some elements of Top Gun are a yeah. documentary. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: you never close your eyes.
1: <laughs> uh, so we, so I did that, uh, and uh, and then came and started um, flying uh, Hornets when I was 21 21 years oh, of wow. age. And that's a, that was a real uh, beast. And again, another defining moment for me was the day I went solo, there was a big thunderstorm uh, system coming through the base and I managed to get airborne. And just as I got airborne, they closed the base. So for uh, an hour, I was the only fighter pilot in the whole of Australia just flying amongst thunderclouds on my first solo in an Aww. F-18 Hornet. Uh, it was amazing. It was one of those moments that just the skin your skin's tingling the whole time. Uh, and then I came back uh, to, to land. Uh, the cloud was really low. Uh, and you could just imagine—it's almost like you could hear your jet reverberating off the ground and the clouds as you as you came into land. And as I landed, there was lightning and thunder going off everywhere. And it was like it was almost like it was a message from someone to say, you "It's you have done something gods be, of, Yeah, yeah gods exactly spoke, right. right. Uh, and then that was uh, then uh, nine years of, of flying fighter aircraft and uh, from that point in time, uh, diagnosed with a medical condition uh, at that point in time when I was 30. Uh,
0: which is called? An- ankylosing spondylitis. So which is incredibly rare. Yeah. It's, it's very rare. But what's interesting is, remember, I think, remember I told you this, my brother actually that's has right. exactly the same yeah. thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. but it's it's an interesting condition. It's something where it's very painful and flying jets is high G, physical, yep. sort of wears you down. But I think... As I've grown older, I've learned to manage that condition much better, and through better diet and mental you know, positive thinking, you actually can get a bigger control on it. Now I feel fantastic compared to back then. Uh, but as you could imagine, you know, it's thirty years old is not a bad time to to have to rethink your career. But at the same time, it's
0: well, it's like you've done you know eleven you've done eleven years at this point. Is yeah, all up, that's right. Yeah, you've spent plenty of time at thirty. Fairly institutionalized. Yeah, relatively, but yep. not so far gone that you can't be rehabilitated. No, that's right. yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, so. And that's when I decided uh, I needed to, to move into something. I didn't fly in combat uh, when I was in the Air Force, and I felt like that was something I, I missed, and I, and I should have done that to, to be a true professional.
0: Yep, so instead combat, of doing yep. combat
1: in an aircraft, I just jumped on a plane and moved to Afghanistan and set up a business uh, working for... Um,
0: you really did want to see a war zone. Yeah, well, I was because... Yeah, most people don't even want to get it sent there for the job, but literally, okay, i leave my job, but then I'll actually go there as a civil contractor.
1: Yeah, well, well as I said to you, I wasn't very... Um, I wasn't very literate or academic. I love books, yeah. but I didn't love structured learning. Yeah. And, uh, and what I, at the time I thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to learn about business? So I went to the newsagent and got a book, which is like how to start your first business for dummies. And it was super, super thick. So I think I got to about four pages in and uh, my eyes glazed over. But I remember it just said one thing though. It said, if you're going to start your, your first business and you've got no idea what you're doing, you've got to do something where the uh, demand is much greater than the supply. And at that point in time, for retired fighter pilots or anyone with a military background, there was two places, Iraq or Afghanistan. So I thought, well, if I go there, and I did it with one of my very, very best friends, we, we set it up together. We thought, if we go there, we'll make it happen. And, and that's what happened. And within our three years, we had 1600 staff. And uh, today, that's the second biggest humanitarian support company in the world. We, we sold it three month, three years in. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, we just, just made it happen. And it was an incredible, incredible experience.
0: So I'm curious because you've taken, to build what you built in civilian land, you've taken a lot of the principles from the, the from the Air Force, which is really interesting. So I'm curious and we'll dive in at the moment. But one of the things that really fascinated me about you, but also about your background and just, you know, Air Force aviation in, in the first place is you guys have such an incredibly high rate of success When it comes to completing missions. Now, obviously, you know, whenever a plane goes up, there's always a mission objective. You know, whenever a team is dropped in, whether it be special forces or otherwise, there's always a mission objective. But also in life, oftentimes we have a mission objective. And sometimes it's a short mission. Okay, I need to go to the shops and get milk and come home. And sometimes it's more commercial. You know, I'm trying to grow a business in five years, 10 years. Uh, So, what I'm curious to know is a 98% level of success rate for completing missions. When you look at military in general, that's pretty unheard of, right?
1: It's it's very it's interesting. It's it's unheard of I guess for people that haven't flown in that environment. Yep. And it's but when you know what you're doing and when you understand the sort of methodology that I talk about, it's very easy to hit a 98% success rate. It's not we don't hit a 98% success rate on Far-reaching, highly imaginative, crazy goals, and yeah, that's right. a key part of being successful. Yep. Is setting a realistic goal in the first place, yep. and and setting a mission objective that you know you're going to succeed at. Yep. And then the two percent is just. The things you have no control over, yeah, you, you can't do anything about them, but you can certainly come back tomorrow and complete the mission.
0: Look, I think you're underplaying it a little bit because even you know, even special forces uh, and even you know regular army or, or regular navy, they have their missions as well, but they still, and which in many cases would be considered uh, exactly the same, realistic. But there's clearly something that the that the air force boys that the, that, the, that you guys are doing that's very different to the rest that enables you to have such a high rate of success.
1: I think for we're one of the few disciplines in the military where the um, officers go to war yep. and our troops stay home. Uh, and and it's very unusual to have that strategic mindset also as a tactician. So we, we've always had a slightly different uh, ethos and mentality to, to when we go to war. Uh, most of the military planning processes now, whether you Army, Navy, or Air Force, they're all developed off the back of fighter pilot planning. Yep. Uh, and what we learned was... Uh, We've learned that unlike a lot of other disciplines, uh, every time the, the wheels go up inside an aircraft, you're dealing in a consequence of death environment yep. all the time. Yep. Not just in combat. That's just the the ultimate manifestation yep. of it. But the aircraft are very complex. They've got roaring hot engines at the back of them. Uh, they've got uh, thousands of, of moving parts, hydraulic fluids. There's, there's a lot that uh, that has gone wrong in aviation. It's a lot better now. But but where we really earned our stripes as, as fighter pilots was during the 60s and 70s when very complex machinery was being utilized in the Vietnam War Korean War and the the loss rates relative to the size of investment were completely out of proportion
0: yeah right and i think it's really interesting to note one of the reasons you guys became so good at your planning and execution is because there was such high risk not just in you know active warfare but just in going to work which is you know taking off and flying in a plane whereas most people you know if if they don't do a good job at work or if they don't you know happen to cross every T and dot every die, they're not going to fucking die. But the consequence for you in the Air Force is if you don't do your job to the highest level even when you're practicing, even when you're parking the car, there could be a fatal error.
1: That's right. You don't <laughs> bump the fender.
0: You- Which is what's interesting and I think one of the reasons people suck so badly when it comes to execution is because in many cases the risk is so low or the tolerance of risk is too high. And would you agree like in the Air Force space the tolerance of risk is like, all because the- it's a high risk environment so you've got to be able to tolerate risk but the toleration of failure is ridiculously Low. Would you agree with that? I agree, but I
1: think it also just plays to the human condition. I think humans are very resilient. Yeah. So ultimately, whether we're in a good environment or a bad environment, we're fundamentally designed to adapt to that environment. So therefore, the consequence of winning or losing, we, we sort of know we're going to adapt to it anyway.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so it's it doesn't matter. Whereas. Now People say to me, oh, you took the principles from the Air Force and you applied them to business. I didn't do that. I, I went into business and I just ha- that was the only thing I knew. Yeah, right. So by default, I just applied what I knew in my culture and it equaled you know, three successful businesses and, and we keep going. Yeah. Uh, you know, and even to the point where I don't read books about business. I don't, all I do is execute every day and learn something every day and apply it tomorrow. I've built a hotel, I've built a business in Afghanistan, I've just bought a publishing company and everyone said, oh, magazines are over, they're over. We've already doubled our social media in six weeks. We've increased our subscriber base for the first time in three years. You just have to learn. You have to try things, you have to fail at things, you have to learn from them and apply that lesson the very next day. It's, I'm, I'm still not very good at school, yeah. but still managing to get things
0: done. But what you're good at is the fundamentals of execution. That's right.
1: And that's, it's, it's the thing people are least interested in. Yep. It is not exciting. It's not sexy. It's not sexy. Yeah. But you know, the same thing that fighter pilots used to not hit the ground when we didn't want to, to save our lives. The benefit of that which we didn't even realize was our performance went through the roof. Yeah, right. And it just reinforces that the the day-to-day, the mundane things, if we do them properly, and we, we, we do it in a way that actually can invigorate a team. Yep. So we make a boring thing, that little bit more interesting. <laughs> uh, we achieve things that we we will be surprised at what we are capable of achieving.
0: So, would you put it down to your your? Is it the planning? Is it the debriefing? Is it a combination of both? Or, you know, in your words, is it in some cases a little bit of luck as well?
1: There is luck, but if you're not if you're not lucky the first time, you might be lucky the second time or the third time. But if you're unable to be focused on one thing and keep going until the luck happens, yeah, then you'll always be unlucky. So, the first thing is to create the focus. Once you create the focus, then the key part is the debriefing element because that's where we test our plan and work as a team and have the ability to be sympathetic to everyone's mistakes, allow everyone to learn from them, and just one little brick at a time, the relentless game of inches, you you eventually get there. And you know what? the, The reality for me about success is when you're really successful, it doesn't feel like success you just
0: reach the destination and it's quite anti-climatic. It is. Because it almost feels like, well, is, is it? I was expecting a oh, parade. Oh, we're there, yeah. yeah. You know, That's it. You know, I was expecting You know, maybe there's a high, but maybe that high was only there for two minutes yeah. <laughs> instead and, of like yeah. 20 years. And there's definitely a high
1: between imagining that you were going to do something and then something which never happens yeah. comes out of the blue and you're successful the next day. Yeah, that right. would give you a high, yeah. but it doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, okay. So let's let's look at this because again, I, I love the fundamentals of what you do. For those people who don't know, uh, we actually hired you. You came in and you know you taught us your planning and your debriefing process. We brought you in for our K two elites, you know, in Queenstown, and delivered an incredible you know um, immersion I- immersion implementation training with you know two hundred of our guys, which is a difficult challenge in itself. So let's get maybe into some of the nuts and bolts of okay, ninety eight percent ninety eight percent success rate. Right? Yeah, you know, in an environment where we have ninety-five percent of businesses that fail in the first five years, you know, one point eight percent—if we're lucky—survive the ten-year mark, which means there's like a ninety-eight percent success yeah. failure rate yeah. of mission objectives. Well, take it away from business. Life. Only eight percent of people manage to
1: achieve their biggest commitment of the year, their New Year's resolution. Eight percent. Only eight percent get there. Yeah. So let's let's not even think about it. even yeah. in our own lives yeah. when it's something we really care about, we still struggle. To do it, so for me, it's not the vision and the ideas yep. that are, are fundamental to being successful. It's the little tiny stepping stones that we build to achieve that ultimate destination. So,
0: when so many people know that they are they suck so badly at succeeding, whether it be in life or in business or you know in whatever in whatever pursuit thereafter, why do you think so few people actually try to do things differently? What, what do you think is preventing people from becoming better when it comes to planning, when it comes to execution, when it comes to the the, the, the critical importance of debriefing and feedback?
1: There's two things. I think one thing is we're not sure how to create a, an objective that we can measure and we get too attached to the to the target. And, and I've never met anyone who's been able to tell the future before. Yep. So it's to understand that Performance for us again, and for me, uh, I'm never too. Con- I'm not too concerned about the target. All I'm concerned about is the gap between where I want to be and where I am now. That's a great distinction. The, the gap is important. Yeah. And, and if you live by if you live by understanding the gap, then you can change plans and get to where you want to get to. Because and again, uh, get execution has to be fundamentally simple to execute if there's already enough going on if we can't just basically get from A to B then we won't get there so if, if you look at execution if that's a big gap it just needs more time or more resources if it's a start of my business I don't have a lot of t- I don't have a lot of resources so maybe I just need a bit more time and one of the I think one of the the challenges in a startup business is people invest too heavily too early too much marketing and uh, too much too much expense without the patience of allowing that to take effect and I only know that because that's what I've done yeah and 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 it's very scary when you get to six months in and you're like oh my gosh all this money's out so so time is important Uh, and debriefing is the ability to to maintain patience so do you want to maybe deconstruct debriefing a little bit yeah sure so so debriefing is the exploration of the gap Careful how you say that. but uh, <laughs> That's
0: what she said. Now, before we go into this, I just want to create some priming around how critically valuable and important this process is. Like we debrief all of our departments debrief on a week, use the exact process that Boo you came in and you taught us. because um, again, I'm a military fucking nut. Like I love anything that involves high stress, high risk, high levels of execution and composure that's required to succeed. And you know, I think the military can give us some more some awesome insights, not on just composure and stress and planning, but also you know on, on stress resilience. So we do this on every department, every single week. Every department has their department meetings and, and look like, how big your office is now. I know, right? It's at least it's at least Ten meters bigger. Um, It's and it's had it's had obviously it's had its own consequences and implications. But we also do it uh, every month in all of our monthly department mental plannings, and then we do it in every month in our business plannings, and in every quarter and every annual. So this is something, by the way, I'm not just putting this up there because you know you're a nice guy and you know you wrote a book and you do cool stuff. I'm putting this up there because what you're about to share with people fundamentally fucking works, and it's incredibly powerful when it's used. And the greatest threat that most people are going to probably have when they hear this is they're going to go, well, that seems. Simple, and you're gonna go, Well, yeah, it is fucking simple, but that's what that's where the power is because if we complicated the shit out of it, you know, chances are not gonna are- work exactly. So, let's break it down. Break down the debrief.
1: Debriefing, as you said, is it's simple as a concept, but the biggest challenge is is the forum and the culture that you have to create to, for, mm. to allow it to work. Yeah,
0: right, this is and, important. And,
1: and, and we call it in the context of, of our flex methodology the nameless and rankless environment. I love that. It's similar to Chatham House rules. It's check the ego at the door. Check, yeah, exactly. It yeah. doesn't matter who you are in the organization, yeah. whether you're Kerwin or a new graduate, in yeah. that room, we're only doing a factual analysis of, of the real world. Yeah, There's no opinions. It's not subjective. It's not someone's idea. It's, it's all seated in truth and reality. So the first thing we do is we have to create the gap what is it? And, and to create a gap, you need to have an objective and then you need to have a result. So the first step of debriefing is what is my result?
0: So we're kind of, we're, we're reverse engineering this because normally you'd start with, okay, how do we plan and how do we execute? And then how do we debrief? But we, we're reversing this just for people playing at home. So they've got a, a bigger picture here.
1: Well, it's interesting because most people, when they walk into their first planning session, they probably already have done something. Yep. They're probably already in a business. Boom, yeah. Or if they're in a startup, yep. they have a reason as to why they've started up. Yeah. So a debrief is the fact check. The debrief is the debrief is where do we want to be? Why are we doing this? Where have we been? Yep. And that starts the conversation about building the plan. One thing when I'm coaching and mentoring in a business that I always see, it's every month the leadership walks in and they just come up with three brand new objectives or just, just random objectives of some wacky idea. And the whole organisation starts to, just as they got settled into the old plan, they weave over to the next plan. And the, the point of debriefing is to always keep you on the path. Yep. And the path moves and it meanders, but we're on the path. Yep. Uh, so everyone's aligned. We don't waste time people trying to figure out what the hell's going on.
0: Uh, so but it also helps us deal with the importance of adaptation, and change because Absolutely are on the that's, that's the only thing that's constant. Exactly, and you know whether you're in the military and you've got bombs going off, or you're in your business and you've got fires that are going on. You know, it happens. Like Every day need you to wake change. up in the
1: morning, your business is potentially going out of business. Yeah, you, you don't know what's out there. You, you you can't, but you need to be able to be uh, responsive. But you cannot be responsive unless you're proactive. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's have a let's let's have a think about that. So. Nameless and rankless is hard to do because people don't like talking about failure. Yeah, Let's just face that.
0: Or they don't like owning failure. Oh. And, but a lot of
1: people like blaming people. That's what we call the excuse matrix. Yep. So so what happened in our world was back in the 60s, there was always an excuse matrix. There's always a reason an aircraft was shot down. There were, it was never the pilot. Yeah. It was, right. it was the other aircraft or better technology. It was always something else, except for one squadron. And, and one squadron back in the Vietnam War, uh, they had a... Okay, they call it kill ratios people get a bit sensitive about using that but that's fundamentally what we uh, what yep. the aircraft exists for uh, so at the time in Vietnam there was a 2 to 1 uh, kill ratio uh, with the Americans and one squadron had a 14 to 1 kill ratio and it was that squadron that they discovered after every mission the pilots took accountability for their own performance and they discussed it in front of their peer group oh, I love it and that was the basis of Top Gun and Top Gun was developed on the back of that ethos yeah right so that's, that's one of two facts in the movie so so when we sit down and, and what's really challenging inside an organization when they start debrief, it's easy for a fighter pilot because we learn from our first mission, yep. debriefing's important. So we're always debriefing little tiny things. So it never kind of gets big, right? So we, we manage it. But when you, do, when you debrief the first time inside an, an organization, there's generally a lot of tension, a lot of failures that have built up over time. And it's very hard to, do, to, to break through that in the first debrief. So the only way we can do that is to start with a fact. And the fact is, we've been trying to do something for six months, what is it? How are we going? And then the second step in the debriefing process is, well, why is that the result? We call it the reason, it's the, it's the three R's to debriefing. What's my result? Yeah. What's my reason for that result? And what's my response gonna be? And when we do a reason or a root cause analysis, everyone knows that word, what we find and where we, again, make another mistake, people are very good at picking the problems of everyone else. People are very good at identifying what everyone's done wrong. And in in this environment, and when we facilitate our first few debriefs, what we find is people laugh off their mistake. Or if someone's identified as, as making a, a, of having a poor performing sales target or, or, or struggling for some specific reason, when we get them to raise their hand and go, okay, why are we off target? You'll get the derision of the entire organization for that individual and right there you have lost 40% of your performance inside the organization just from that one giggle yeah. that one little piece of derision for that individual so we spend a lot of time just going okay great that, what that, does the
0: word derision mean? You, bad you
1: feel bad okay, derided okay. you, you, it's, it's a bad word okay <laughs> it's like fuck but different <laughs> It's but smart yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't read books mm-hmm. um so, so, so to, to, to create the environment where people feel comfortable, we have to start with the truth. Yeah, right. And a root cause analysis is just finding one thing and drilling all the way down until we can drill down no more, yep. until we get a, a, a granular piece of factual information as to why something didn't work. And you know what? You know what's really great about debriefing? That can be wrong. Even if our debrief and we come up with the wrong reason, we'll figure it out tomorrow because we're gonna debrief again, right? So we take, that, we take that reason and then we say, well, if that's the reason why I'm not achieving the level of performance I, I, I want, what can I do? What can I do tomorrow to-, to, to What's m- my response? What's my response yeah, gonna be? Right. Who's gonna do what by when? Not the team's response, not the organizational response. What is my response? Because inside a debrief, it's all about saying I made the mistake. I fess up to it, and I'm going to fix it. It's it's that level of accountability. So we so we take that reason, we we create a response, and then we go plug that into our plan, and we commit to to do it the very next day. We execute that response, and sometimes in an organisation,
0: we're not sure how critical is speed of implementation in this context.
1: It's critical. It, yep. You need to you need to implement your response from a debrief virtually the very next day yeah, right. because if you don't it just like all the information in life it just has an expiry date we're filling the bucket every single day with stuff on the internet and so, so we need to go out there but more importantly we need to record it we need to record the date at which this response is going to be implemented and when we're going to check to see how it's traveling uh, so so when you start debriefing and 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 as you're talking about your you debrief as an organization, you know every day you debrief uh, a month as a, as a large group. you know for me, I would have debriefed six, seven times today already just on the way to your office. It's just a mindset yeah because because you always make mistakes like it's it's fundamentally being now human. That you say
0: you're hundred percent right that's I literally live my entire life in a debrief yeah. Like okay, what's my result? Why did I get there? Okay, what's my response? Oh god, that is literally my view. Of the, that's, yeah, I and it's very.
1: It's and and if I'm of, of all the information out there on all the tricks, tips, and and trade to be a successful person, I think the skill of debrief is the most fundamental. I would agree. It's right up there,
0: definitely. Okay, so we've got the, the the result. We've got to look at the result. Nameless, rankless. There is no blame. we just got to look at what the facts at a granular level is dig, dig, dig deep down. And that is hard. It is. It
1: is hard. We, we love the shopping list of, oh, we need to communicate more. We need to be better with our
0: customers. We need to. Because I'm sure you hear that all the time. People have their values on the wall, but then you get inside the organization like, ah, uh, guys, you know, I'm not sure if you read what's actually up there.
1: Yeah, we call it the what matrix. Yeah, but- Here's what we did. Here's what we need to do. But no one ever goes into the detail of, well, how are we going to do that then?
0: Yeah, right. what is the
1: drain on resources yeah. and I would say uh, 99% of the time I walk into an organisation for the very first time and build a plan by the end of the day everyone says well I can't believe how optimistic we were we were so unrealistic in what we, what we had set ourselves to do and when they walk away they go right let's just do one thing let's get one thing done in the next three months and it's, it's that it's that degree of penetration that you get from a debrief
0: yeah right so result, reason, and, and this is oftentimes it brings up the emotion because, and again, I think this is one of the biggest challenges for people is responsibility. And it should almost be like a secondary R, like what was the result? What was the response? Responsibility and that attachment of letting go of that responsibility. Absolutely. How do you go through that in an environment where you've got, because, again, emotion goes up, intelligence goes down. Uh, we haven't hit what we want to do, but we need to talk about it. How do you navigate in situations? Because people might be listening and well, this sounds great, but my manager's a dick, okay, or my, my boss is a dick, or my team, you know, I just ended up with a team that I acquired along the way, and, you know, they're, they're a bunch of... You know, odd, ob- odd objects in different shapes, and how do I bring this together in a way and use a, like a, how do I in- inject a communication strategy to actually do this well? Because before debriefing, it's all subjective. Yeah. It's,
1: yeah. John's a dick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he is. But but in <laughs> but but when you debrief, yeah. what you what you highlight is actually poor performance. So we go from having a subjective opinion of someone to a factual matrix of non-performance for that individual. Uh, and, and when you debrief, you are you do end up down at the, at the heavy-hitting items inside an organisation. Was it a leadership failure? Is it the organisation itself? Is it communication? Are we even able to communicate a high-level strategy to the lowest level of the organisation? Is it lack of knowledge, experience, discipline? So we hit, we hit some raw nerves uh, when we do debriefing and a good leadership team and a good organisation will subsequently off that build a plan to knock each one of those down. And remember, importantly, in a debrief, it's not about walking away with fifty things that we did wrong. Yeah, that is easy. And the only person that feels good after that is the person who highlighted all the problems and walks away completely I told unaware that. of their in, of their own shortcomings. Yeah. It's just walking away with one or two, no more than three things. Actions that you can do the next day—that is the skill. And and in our world, the world I came from in fighter pilots, the best fighter pilot isn't the the guy or the girl that flies the jet the best. It's the fighter pilot that can run the best debrief.
0: Yeah, right. Because
1: that person gets the most benefit for everyone in the room, not just for themselves. And you know what? It just so happens that the best fighter pilot debriefers—they're also
0: the best pilots. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that okay? So. uh, we're now looking at response. You're saying we're not looking for a list of 50 things, we're only looking for a list of one, three things max. That's right. And again, this That is a human can do. Yeah. A human has
1: to be able to do this. Right. Not a machine. Yeah. The human interfacing to the machine has to do it. Again, it's a uh, particularly with sales and tracking sales and development of sales. Uh, a lot of the feedback we get is oh, we need to figure out how to use a CRM better. Well, who does? Who's going to figure that out? Who's going to run the training program? Who's taking point? define what making the CRM looks better, works better looks like. And that's where you, you hit the stumbling blocks because people don't know. Mm. And they've entered a multi-million dollar contract for a CRM system that they're not even sure what the scope of it is in the first place. So again, when else do you use debriefing? When you're looking at entering into a large contract with someone. When you're dealing with a customer, ask them, what's your objective? What's your result? What's the gap in performance? What's the reason for that gap? If you can't talk or have a conversation with somebody and you're introverted, it's the perfect platform to just ask someone all about themselves. And at the end of the day, if, if they're unable to articulate what their objective is relative to their result and you can help them with that, you've given them value beyond the service and product that yeah, you're, right. you're trying to sell to them.
0: So let's let's maybe work backwards, okay, so I keep we,
1: tangenting you off the response nah, thing, it's, don't
0: I? No, nah, fucking great, mate. it's great. But I, I wanna get the, because there are probably some people out there going, this is fantastic, I can see, you know, there was a result I was going for, didn't achieve it. Okay, I can now drive in and drill into the reasons why and I understand the basic philosophy, nameless, rankless, blameless, you know, we're gonna check out we got the door, we're gonna leave emotion out of it and let's just look at the facts, we're gonna try and keep this as unemotional as possible. Then we're gonna look at the response, you know, what is the one to three actions that we're gonna take? Actually, before we go, actually go off that, um, the responses, can they be as simple as a task and, or, and can they be as maybe more complex as a priority? Meaning, is it something in some cases we're looking that can be executed in a day? Correct, yes. Or is it something that we might be looking at as a bigger th- project that comes out of it that may take a week, a month, or three months to well, actually. We can improve. drill down that a little bit if you like. Yeah, please. So when, it, when, when
1: we debrief, there's really only four things that we can fix. Our personal execution. Yep. Our communication. So, am I riding a bike, and I'm part of a triathlon team, and I'm, I'm actually should be the runner, but no one told me that. The plan itself, I, In
0: Jim Collins' language, are you in the right seat on the bus? Correct. Yep. Is
1: it? I did read Jim Collins. <laughs>
0: I read that book. So that's the one. Um, just the one. Not, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so, in my personal execution, because we can fix that tomorrow. That's just, a, that's a decision. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm overweight. I'm, I'm going, tomorrow I'm gonna to eat three meals instead of four, right? I'm gonna enlist on a new weight loss program. I'm gonna focus on diet, then I'm gonna focus on exercise. So over, we, we've got the big picture, the, the high definition destination. I, I would like to be less weighty. So we, when, when we've, so that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a key element, that key overarching uh, uh, objective. And, and I can fix that just by the way I behave and and that's the hardest thing like it's all your personal execution is ultimately 85% of the time the reason why you're not getting anywhere okay so let's just say we've we've trained really hard we've worked out everything's going fantastic for us but something's still not happening, then we check our communication with with ourselves, with the team. Now, people think communication is about, oh, I've got a strategy and I'm going to tell everyone about it. Communication is getting somewhere in life as well. If you want to get somewhere in life, and one thing I've never been shy of is I have wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was a kid. So I asked everyone around me. I rang up fighter bases. I, I couldn't tell enough people that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, right. And as a result of that, I got a lot of information, guidance, and assistance that helped the pathway to my destination sort of open up. So that's the, why communication is so important. But I had a, I had a plan. I, I knew what I wanted. And the plan is the third part of the, of the debrief. So we, when, we have, when we ask ourselves, well, we're doing everything right. We're all, we know exactly what we need to do, but something's still not working. And this is now where we're starting to get into a weeks long corrective process. We start to change our objectives. We change the measurable. So we're being too overconfident right now. And as you know, every human's born with the overconfidence chip. So
0: overestimate ourselves so, in the short term, underestimate ourselves in the long term. So, yeah. so
1: by and large, yep. we're, we're, whatever we set out to do, just cut it by thirty yep. percent, and you're probably starting to get in the ballpark. So we've got to have that little bit of correction. Our plans are generally we're, we we're optimistic in what we can achieve. So we adjust that now. So if we're doing the right thing now, we've got a good plan that's communicated well, and we're still not we're still not getting to our destination, then that's when we can finally blame the organization. Funny thing is though, as the organization is an organism of the individuals inside it, once we get our personal execution right, we communicate good plans to each other, the organization just kind of sorts itself out.
0: So you never actually end up there. That's almost like a, um, a list of ingredients for culture. Like, when you think about it, because this is – and this is what makes us exceptional at what we do, is we don't use this as an event-based strategy, you know, because obviously we combine what you've taught us with many of the things that we've learned throughout the last 20 years in business, but we don't do this as, oh, shit, maybe we're not having a good day or we're not having a good month, not having a good quarter, we didn't have a good good year, let's sit down and do this. Like, for us – and I think this is the difference – like when you look at other uh, other disciplines it becomes a way of life doesn't it this is a you either do this as a way of life there is no part time no it's
1: it's an existence yeah
0: it it is and and the beauty of debriefing is and that's what a culture is a culture is where you behave in a particular way that is just considered normal yeah. and to us this is normal we have i'm not fucking kidding here we have sometimes recruited people in here and in their first week they're like there we've had people that there is something wrong with the people in this in this company you there i'm fine i'm completely normal but you guys you're all fucking weird
1: it happens. And it, it's, it, and that's probably something that a lot of people say about uh, me as well. It's You
0: are fucking weird. You're though. a weird guy, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and this is where, you know, John the Dick that we were talking about before. Oh, he's such a dick. This is where he ends up going somewhere else. Yeah. So if you create the culture of debriefing, boom, you, you, the right people gravitate to your exactly. organization who want the accountability, exactly. who want the openness. Yeah. And the people that aren't comfortable and they've made a living out of- They deselect. Yeah out of, uh, of, of being a cloud of confusion, yep. they'll go and, and gravitate to the organization where those toxic cultures I- exist. Yep. Uh, so, and it, you raised a good point about culture. If you, if you give me anything inside your organization that you want to fix, you give me a target, a goal, the first thing I'll say is, how did your debrief go? What, what, what did you discover in a debrief? And then 70% of companies will say, what, what's, a, what's a debrief? So it's it, it's not hard. Mm. It, it is not hard to get to y- your destination, but you just have to be a- absolutely – I don't use the word discipline because people get scared by that word, right? You just have to be in the habit of, of going through a debriefing process. I'm eight weeks into a detox now uh, where I'm looking at uh, – again, with, with my health issues, just trying something new. Yep. So for me, it's probably the fourth thing I've tried new about managing my health. So I can, deeper, I can walk into a doctor's surgery – and talk to them about my conditions and and have more general knowledge about my condition now than the doctor, which means I get more value from the doctor because he can look with his expertise and subject matter expert and we can have a proper conversation, which is around a debrief to my health.
0: Yeah, right.
1: I avoided having my intestines removed or a big portion of my intestines removed because I was able to debrief with a surgeon properly as to my symptoms my conditions the treatment i googled like a maniac Uh, i found as much as i could and between us we discovered that perhaps we can avoid surgery and I still have my insides intact today after a five day stay in hospital.
0: And I love your guts, mate. I do. I do love <laughs> yeah. your guts. So let's, let's maybe just go. As you said, to
1: be successful, it takes guts. So I couldn't it lose does those. Take, mate, yeah. you can't
0: take your guts away. Honestly, you'd be gutless. <laughs> Come on. Um, that was really funny. I have to say, it was the funniest thing I've said for at least a year. Right. Um, thanks, Timmy so let's maybe let's go back now to okay we've now learnt the debriefing process it's incredibly powerful it has to become a way of life It, it has to become a part of who you are uh, if you want if you want to succeed because you may not want to succeed at the highest level Timmy there are a lot of people out there who don't want to succeed at the highest level there's nothing wrong with that no you want to be average just that's be, fine you going to be happy and content because we need we need average people to help us stand out <laughs> um, but what I'm curious to know is like how do you then forward plan okay right I've gone through the diving process I've now got my uh, I've got my responses but I want to be better at setting the objective like like, do you have any insights tips hints process that you can say well this is how you pl- this is a good way to plan if you're going to do it less is more yep. is
1: a simple philosophy when you're planning, do 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 as little as possible. But also, I really
0: like the sound of that.
1: That's sexy as hell. Yeah, carry on. And uh, so, so when we when we when we're excited, and it's actually uh, it's actually a trait that um, is possibly more damaging to entrepreneurs and more damaging to high energy people is typically you take on more than your team can do. Mm. And and you might document it, you might follow all the processes and procedures, but you find yourself you know, running through a field of snowflakes rather than catching the snowball. Yeah, right. So the ability to, to just in great detail plan out every single key objective, but also think in terms of what is the objective? How do I define it at this level of the organisation where everyone has input? And then how do I push that down so the next person can create their objective to align to mine and their team can create an objective to align to theirs. So you you create this full alignment from your strategic intent and your vision all the way down into your into your day-to-day activities. And if you if you're creating a plan where someone has to do eight different things every single day from the day before, you're not setting them up for success either. So it's it's a way of helping you create a standard way in which to do your business because the more standard we, we seek invigoration in the day. We want to do exciting things. We, we, we want to go out there and be an individual. Uh, but if you don't have standards, you, you have chaos. And the standard is, is getting 70% of your work just ironed out. And that 30% we leave you allows you to be incredibly creative and innovative. But you won't be creative and innovative without the debrief. So we take all that information and that's where we put it into this plan and we create these objectives because the objective is probably wrong. That first target was we didn't measure it. And one of the issues inside business is there's a disconnect between leaders and and strategic intent and doers and stuff that needs to get done. So to bridge that gap, we practice open planning. And open planning is, well, if you're a leader and you have to deliver something strategic, everyone who's involved in doing the work needs to be in the room with you, building the plan. Mm. And and organisations... When I, when, I, when I talk about that, they say, but everyone's
0: busy. How, and the, and the, I, I don't have time. But, and I don't want their input. I just want to tell them what to do. Exactly. Yeah. And how and, would they know what I want them to do? How can they tell me what, and, I, need to, what I know? Any, that culture need
1: to that, that any culture in an organization that relies on telling people what to do is doomed to fail. Yeah. And An organization that – I mean, how's this? With this process, you create an environment where people can figure out on your behalf what you need to do because they're empowered. And because they own the solution, they're going to come to work more. They're going to be more invigorated. That's they're going it. to debrief. They're going yeah. to learn. And all of a sudden, we go from having these boring workplaces where well-being is a beanbag in the corner to, to, <laughs> to, 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 to being where well-being is getting things done, yep. achieving things, being part of a ha- harmonious team where my doesn't matter what I say, it's, it, my contribution is valued.
0: I'm not derided. You know what? You nailed something there. High performance is actually a healthy... High performance is healthy because it, when you perform at a high level and you are cracking the shit out of life and you're succeeding in life, you're succeeding in health, you're succeeding in whatever your pursuits are, you're more happy. You're bulletproof. Exactly. You're, you're actually... You are unstoppable. You're
1: like have a force field around yeah. You, yeah. you. Yeah. And nothing gets you down. Yeah. Nothing Nothing is insurmountable. What Once you learn to create the achievable objective in life...
0: That's the key, isn't it? It's... Yeah. It's cool. So, for those of you playing at home, stop overestimating yourself in the short term and stop underestimating yourself in the long term. And again, you've only got to look at the statistics in business. You know, most businesses to take from, from scratch to go to a million bucks takes on average seven to 10 years. But ni- 98, 19, what is it, 1.8% survived that 10 year mark and it's not because a and this is what i've learned. if hard work was a key to success we'd see a lot more successful entrepreneurs out there hard work has nothing to do with it because most people know how to work hard but it's how do you work strategic and how do you execute at a tactical level but also how do you create the habit and the discipline because you know you, you mentioned that before this has got to become a habit you don't like the word discipline i fucking love the word discipline um, oh, i love the word discipline yeah. just people i deal with don't like it fuck them <laughs> i'm more interested in people understanding and again taking this from the military context and from your you know you've taken this into the professional context the more discipline we have around creating habits, the free the more, the more freer we become. Absolutely. Because the biggest challenge that I've seen, and you could probably experience yourself, is most people resist effort. And the reason they resist effort is because effort requires energy. And it's harder than things that are effortless. And the things that are effortless are the things that we once did over and over and over again that required effort to a point where they no longer required effort because it was automatic. You're brushing your teeth. But I still find that very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> all right, you need to debrief. <laughs> but, but it's true. But there are habits: yeah.
1: showering, brushing teeth, yeah. having breakfast. Like yeah. we all have habits, yeah. whether we like it or not. There's, we we do. We love a program. We love to do things the same yeah. all the time.
0: It, so this is just and the and bad. bad habits take just as long as, to form as the good habits. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just consciousness. Yeah. But,
1: but again, debriefing debriefing brings these things into consciousness. They go from being a, a fog. Uh, or we missed a very important concept around this whole process and that's situational awareness. Like
0: that's the- I was just about to bring that
1: up. That is the fundamental outcome we're trying to achieve here. Yeah. And, and we've, we got, we, we've got to go from a world where information is all pervasive to the right info at the right time to empower decisions. The decisions equal actions and the actions equal that effect that the leader or the team is trying to achieve. And situational awareness is that clarity. So most people don't live with clarity. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty straightforward. You, you, if you're wandering around the street with your phone in your face, you do not have clarity. So how do we create clarity? Because with clarity comes performance. With clarity comes effortlessness. And it's funny, isn't it? Because what I find is the more effortless and proceduralised we make things, people feel like they've got nothing to do anymore. Mm. And if I've got nothing to do, what do I need? I'm going to do myself out of a job. It's it's quite fascinating that how how uncomfortable people are when when they create these environments. Oh,
0: it's so true, people, and that's a reason why people are uncomfortable with creating efficiency. Like that's you nailed it right there. People resist efficiency because, in some level, they think it's self self sabotage. Well, I'll, if I make it more efficient, then they may not need me anymore. Absolutely, and it's it is human nature. Even even
1: for me, even me knowing like I know this stuff back to front. It's my culture. It's in my DNA. But I still have to use it to, to overcome my humanness. Like yeah. <laughs> I still, you know, I still yeah. I still have this destructive element to my to myself. I yeah. still try and take off more than I bite bite off more than I can chew. I still do things that when I'm thinking and doing them, I know it's it's not it's not the right thing to do. And that's the other great thing that that for me means. I'm and I and I think and what I am. Are my actions right now increasing my situational awareness or decreasing? And that for me is my trigger I love that. to say stop. Yeah, just go back to it, debrief, that, yep. and that's where the debriefing. That's a, That's how often I derail myself—six, seven, eight times a day. So I debrief to get the clarity back. You know, I did. It's an example is driving here today in your you moved office. So for me, my ingrained behavior is get in the car and drive to the old office. But as I'm as I'm as I'm doing that, I'm remembering a conversation we had in your moving office. So all of a sudden, I've lost my situational awareness. So I stop. I just I just stop, and I go right. I've lost. My, what am I trying to do? The objective is to get the Kern's office, right? What 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 is the result? I, I don't know. I'm just I'm all over the shop. So what am I going to do? What what is the reason I'm all over the shop? Well, I've just gone from one meeting to another meeting. I'm hurrying. I'm jamming too much into my day. My response is five minute shutdown. Aircon in the car. Five minute shutdown go back through my emails, make a phone call, have you moved office? Yes, I moved office. Reprogram the GPS, shift the meeting half an hour. Boom, got my situational awareness back. I'm here, I'm, I'm productive for half an hour working before the meeting and I'm full of energy and engaged and able to have a conversation with you because I, I gave myself, I had the awareness, I'd lost my situational yeah, awareness.
0: Right. It's, it's incredible how self-awareness is making almost a comeback in so many different areas, era- because I actually believe once upon a time there was a, very, you know, we were a very evolved species of self-aware human beings, and then over time,
1: yeah, they drew us on the pyramids. Yeah,
0: exactly, <laughs> right. <laughs> But it's it's almost like it's self awareness is becoming sexy. Situational awareness is becoming, and again, I hear this you know, discussed with in, with a lot of lot of intensity and a lot of focus when you know working with the boys and the Navy SEALs and the European Special Forces is the importance of situational because without it you're screwed. And the things that affect situational awareness, which is exactly what you pointed to on the way over here, stress and emotion. So have you got any? Just as we we wrap up here, look, I'm curious to know because this plan is great. This debriefing process is bulletproof. I know it is. We live it. But what I'm curious to know is how do we manage the things that in some cases we can't manage? Because sometimes there's a stress trigger, sometimes there's an emotional trigger. You know, emotions released, um, we filter out so much more information, we don't see the bigger picture. Stress released, you know, we 30 to 50% of our IQ in like seven minutes. So, do you have some, some military grade strategies to help people, you know, maintain high levels of composure in high risk situations? Not necessarily where people are trying to shoot you out of the sky, but fuck me, if you can manage the stress of being shot out of the sky, you know, managing a bad day in your business is going to be a piece of cake
1: what's the one thing that makes everyone feel good what is there's if there's one thing why people buy a lotto ticket why people do all of these unlikely outcome events if there's one thing that reverses all of those symptoms reduces the amount of stress is hope if you create hope in any situation it immediately it's an immediately calming effect that's Positive psychology. We, we release the, the endorphins. We release all of these chemicals, and in and debriefing, is the is is a tool that ends up with a response. And what is a response in another form? It's hope. Mm. It's something I can do. It's a tangible action I can take from a shitty situation, and do it, and 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 immediately you feel better. We've been, we say in the, in, our, in the fighter pilot world, I keep saying our world, I haven't done it for 12 years, but the world I came from, we, we would say the debrief is more important than the mission. And if we, if we didn't fly a mission for whatever reason, we would debrief it as if we had and you're still right. learn something. That's how powerful the, 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 the debrief is and how important it is to us. So in an environment where you're stressed, there's a high level of tension and we have to go into a room with the, with the team first, debrief yourself. Sit down. And, and try and discover why you are stressed. stressed. You are stressed because your gap in performance is big. Why is the gap big? What's my reason? Ask yourself. And we, yeah, we have a handy little reference card to help people drill down to that. And then once you do that and you come up with your response then, and you're going into a Nameless rankless Debrief anyway, you will decompress the situation. So if something happens outside your control, we call that a contingency or what if, what if, there's nothing you can do about it. What you do have control over is how quickly you recover, how quickly you get back on the horse and keep going. And if you debrief, that accelerates that process. I mean, debriefing has been demonstrated scientifically to improve performance 38%. That gives everyone 60 days a year in their back pocket. Boom. So if you're looking at, if you're saying it takes seven years to grow a business, well, this is gonna shave
0: two years off that process.
1: That's that's how powerful it is.
0: That's potent stuff. Uh, and for those people who want to find out more about um, what you do, because obviously you do this as a training, and the training is immersive. i do it as a passion. It's, yeah, 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 it's, it's actually like, it's clearly a passion. It's my hobby. You know, we've brought you in not just into our organisation, we brought you into work within the organisations of our clients, uh, and it's a quite an immersive experience. So like you actually get us to do you know battle like actual mission plan a plans, mission plan, mission, plan blow a mission, something execute up, missions. Don't really bless like, like, wow, pretend we, to yeah. We wanted to. He <laughs> freaked out when he pulled out the hand grenades. <laughs> but um, you know, you get the people to execute. You have air raids. You produce stress. Like you actually produce an environment where you know, that is similar to, to, to the real world so and,
1: and it goes that, to answer your question how do you deal with stress so unless we put people in that stressful yeah. environment and they feel saturated and, and they feel that tension and their heart rate go up it, they won't learn from the debrief afterwards yeah. and it, after the debrief everyone's relaxed yeah. everyone's laughing we're revisiting the mission. We're having little debriefs off to the side. Gherkins everywhere. Yeah, uh, gherkins left, right and yeah. center, more gouge. Yeah. Uh, we're just, uh, so, so I think that's, uh, that's the key. It's it, it kind of the, the, the magic formula to, to resolve anything inside your organization. And, mm. and you, you can't do it enough. And, and every single debrief that w- the organizations I work, and if I come in and facilitate a debrief, it's actually a day of excitement in the fortnightly calendar like people like they get excited by the hey boo and they're all excited and they know that in that 45 minutes to an hour they're actually going to learn
0: something, take it away and then that gives them something to do for the next week. So you've written a book, what's it called? On Time on Target, On Time on Target. Uh, and you have a training. How can people find out more about the book, more about the training? Where do they go? Google Afterburner Australia. Afterburner that's all they, that's
1: all they need to do. Uh, it's not all-
0: he's that cool. He doesn't even need a business card. Just say Google Afterburner. Google Afterburner Australia. Yep.
1: And uh, the the beauty of this process, it's uh, whilst I yeah, whilst I've employed it in business for twelve years, I've got ten other fighter pilots, real ones who are flying right now, yep. who come in and share that experience. And, and for me, it's a good audit as well, yep. so to make sure what I'm talking about in the business current, context is yep. is definitely where where the team still is. So, uh, and, we, and we run anything from.
0: Uh, and I love that because you even theme the rooms. You know, you bring in fucking. Parachute. everyone loves a silk parachute yeah I the mean, silk parachutes you come in in your aviation gear like it's it's a real experience you don't
1: learn if, if there's no experience yep. attached to it I mean that's the most of us learn from bad experiences we, we want we want people to learn from a fun experience and in an environment that they never really see and uh, just have to reinforce it's not top gun yeah uh, it's and see what real fighter pilots do yep. yeah where else does in an organization invest 10 million dollars in someone and have a basic level of competency? where there's only 60 of them in the whole country that operate billions of dollars worth of equipment day in, day out, have to d- deliver to a deadline within five seconds every single day. It, it just doesn't exist. That, wow. that environment does not exist. And, and therefore, what we can do is learn a lot of lessons from that environment, bring it into normal world, Civi street, as we call yeah. it, and it just works.
0: Million Dollar Man's got nothing on you. 10X his ass. He's the $10 Million Dollar Man. Ladies and gentlemen, Christian Boo. I'm just going to say Christian Boo. Bakushis. 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 That's where you get your cool call signs from. No one oh, else could pronounce it either. Uh, no shit. Christian. Boo. Oh, uh, that's it. Boo. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Mate, that was great. Thank you, stuff. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor. Don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. would love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray.